Hello, and welcome to another edition of Your Money, Your Life, our show about all things financial wellness for Black enterprise. This edition of Your Money, Your Life is being brought to you by Prudential. And listen, we have a great topic and a perfect guest to discuss that topic today. We are going to be talking about sticking to financial goals despite the threat of recession. And our guest today is Kara Stevens, none other than the frugal feminista, uh, who also is dropping a new book, her latest book, Heal Your Relationship with Money, also very, very appropriate for the show. Welcome to the show, Kara. Thank you so much, Alfred, for having me. Let's start by telling our audience a little bit about your journey to becoming the frugal feminista. Oh, thank you. That's a great question. So um, initially, I became... I graduated from college and I had no idea that I had to pay back any debt. So when I got the payment um, request in the mail, I would ignore them. And also while I was in college, I had my mom's credit card and I was running it up. And I also thought I did not have to pay those things back. And when I graduated, ironically, I graduated with a um, degree in economics and political science all around money and how the world works around policy, but I had no real connection between larger ideas about how to manage your personal finances with these larger concepts. So I was ignoring my debt. I was a debt dodger for the longest until I started getting these late payments and late notices. And there was this one moment, it was like my moment of shame, but also clarity when I opened up this bill and I asked my mom, why they keep on sending me these bills? Like they know I'm not going to pay it. And I was like, how come the balance keeps on going up? And she's like, what's wrong with you, my child? You know, I sent you to these good schools and you don't get it. The reason the balance keeps going up is because you have late fees and it's being added to your balance and you have to pay it back. And I was like, really? I did not know I had to pay this money back. And so what I realized in that moment was like, I had to get my financial life together. And since I had just graduated from college, I knew one thing, I knew how to read and write. So I went to the library and I asked the librarian, like, I asked them, do you have books on money? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, really? Can you send me to the section? They showed me um, Glenda Bridgeforth's series of books on Girl, Get Your Money Right. And I was a black woman. And I, I love to tell this story because that was like the book that was there for me, it seemed. It was almost like it was meant to be to read that book and really understand what understanding your money and your relationship with money, and also how to get out of debt, how to take control of your finances. And from there, I fell in love. I learned about finances um, as a way to move forward in my career, move forward in my confidence, move forward um, in relationships. And the Frugal Feminista filled the gap at that time. That was maybe 10 years ago when blogging was the thing. There weren't many women at my age, and I was in my 20s, talking about life, love, and money. How was I going to figure it all out? And the Frugal Feministy evolved into being able to have deeper conversations around our relationship with money, our relationship with debt. And from there has been able to feel liberate our communities to have shame-free conversations and transparent conversations around their feelings around money and their actual financial goals around wealth. You know, you hit on all the reasons why I've been a fan of yours for, for a very long time. Um, again, this show is about financial wellness. I had a similar journey to yours. Uh, my minor was in economics. Never thought I'd use it. Of course, I got the Black Enterprise and it was like, oh, perfect. And now I know why I got this, this, this study these courses for. But like you said, I had a great understanding of the macro aspects of money, supply and demand, GDP, right. all that stuff that makes you, you know, sit, look smart when you sit in the room of economists. Right. But same thing, credit card debt, 
um, not really being cognizant of late fees and interest and how fast that can rise and all that stuff. Um, right. But the other thing that, that again, uh, I, I've been after you for a little while to be on this show because you're our perfect guest for this show, is I'm fascinated by the emotional aspects of how we react, relate, deal with money, which is affected by everything by, from our upbringing to sure. uh, experiences we may have had. Because um, what I realized is that even my time at Black Enterprise is that even after you intellectually know the right things to do, you won't necessarily do them if your emotional or, or your relationship with money has not really changed. And so I would see example after example after example of people who are very educated, PhD educated, who if you ask them the question, they could give you the right answer. But until you get into the emotion and the relationships with money, how we feel about it, it won't necessarily change behaviors. I mean, is that what you've discovered with the people you've worked with over the years? Sure, for sure. I find that there's a interesting correlation between those that are highly ambitious and highly educated and the shame and fear that they have of being exposed around an area that they think they should be good at. So there's a lot of cognitive distortions around um, how they relate to money. And it could be also possibly because they are high achievers, they very much are in the, the realm of perfectionism and performances and appearances. And so they're also expected to know the answers. And so their identity is tied to being right. And sometimes they avoid situations where they are in a position of vulnerability. And when it comes to their finances, not being able to feel comfortable to ask the simple questions that may expose them for not being as knowledgeable as they are in their career life or their relationship life um, puts them in a bind um, until they realize that the same skills that got them to that high position in their career is the same skill set when applied to learning about their finances that will accelerate their wealth, their healing of their relationship with money. And I find that once they make the connection between the two, that how you present in your career can transfer into how you manage your finances. That's where the aha moments and that's where the wealth starts coming in. And that's where the happiness and the financial wellness begins to really take take root. Yeah, people are often surprised to hear that, like you said, the more highly educated you are, the more ambitious you are, the more accomplished you are. And again, I'm speaking from personal experience. I am you know, now 30 plus years into being a financial journalist, interviewing people like you. I got access to all kinds of expertise. And I went through, through many years of, but I can't seem to handle this. And I don't really want people to know that I'm not handling this very well. I'm not handling that very well. Or my credit is not where I, I think it should be for somebody who, who knows what I know and knows the people that I know. And I know you you, you are you know, one of our great speakers at the Women of Power Summit um, in Las Vegas early this year, um, where you're talking to, you know, hundreds of really accomplished black women who are wielding multi-million dollars, in some cases, billion dollar budgets for their companies, but don't always have that same degree of confidence with managing their household budget or their personal budgets. So talk about your whole focus. And I know um, your big part of the, the Frugal Feminista mission is to help uh, your, your tribe become more confident and to lean into that confidence about managing their money and their resources. But talk about what that's like when you're, when you're talking to somebody who is significantly accomplished, but still wrestles with that. 
I think what I do with them, and this is my experience too, so I did it to myself, so I was able to do it with others, is I think we have to unpack what the original money story is that we had. And a lot of times we have to go to the past in order to rewrite the present and be able to prepare for the future in the way that we want. And I found that in my personal experience of understanding that my belief system around money was really an inherited money story from my mom. And I had to understand my mom's money story, which her money story was rooted in a love story that ended in an unhappy ending between my father and her. So I was her youngest child and her only daughter. So she taught me a lot of lessons around money that for the most part held me hostage um, in certain ways that kept me from being able to really understand what my true financial voice was. So in all fairness, my mom was an amazing woman from Antigua, single mom, raising two kids in New York in the 80s. Not easy, alone. She was left to be emotional caregiver and financial breadwinner for the family when my father left us to go back to Antigua. And so the messages that she taught me around money was like, you're never supposed to trust anybody with money, especially men or a, a partner. You There never seems to be enough because she was having to scramble. And also just the depression, the resentment that came with loss love and the lifestyle that she was expecting to have because my dad was a doctor and my mom was a nurse. So they were supposed to be taking their place in the African-American, you know, immigrant echelon of the upper parts, but then that didn't happen. And so what I learned from her, especially as her daughter, was that I wanted to make her happy. And the way that I made her happy was to pretend I didn't need things or want things because talking about money made her anxious, made her sad. And so what I find when I talk to women is that when they unpack their money timeline or their money autobiography, they realize that a lot of the financial decisions that are being made isn't with that powerful, confident 40 or 30-year-old. It's that scared six-year-old still that's trying to please their mom or the rebellious 16-year-old that is you know, looking to find their voice in a way that may be deleterious to their overall goals, but feels good because they never had a voice before. And so when they're able to identify the, the persona that is really taking the wheel of their financial car, they can offer them a few things. One, understand the beauty of that persona, meaning that, say for the scared six-year-old in my case, that six-year-old wants to love and be supportive of people, but up to a point, right? You have to have your needs met. So what you do is that your financial voice says, okay, what parts of that can I take with me? So I can begin to be generous, but make sure that I have my emergency fund taken care of. Make sure that I have my retirement taken care of. Make sure that my bills and my needs are met before making others a priority, right? Or that person that love to maybe spend because they were they, they always, there was always a fear that there wouldn't, wouldn't be enough. Well, part of that identity is a person that loves life. So you take a part of that, you know, it's a great thing to want to spend and enjoy, but not at the expense of your future. And I think once you're able to reconcile the various aspects of those identities, that confident career man or woman will be able to thank those various identities for parts of their true financial voice 
integrate them into who they are as an adult and begin to make decisions from a place of power instead of living in the past and often not really knowing that their financial story hasn't really been rewritten into their own words, their own goals. And I think that's what ends up being um, the next step for those women, how they're able to make that happen and the men. And I think finally is continually being open to questioning your decisions. My why, why am I doing this? Like, why am I saying yes when I mean no? Or why am I saying no when I mean yes? Why, for example, am I um, procrastinating on a decision? What financial voice is talking to me now? Are they saying, no, don't do it because we're afraid or, you know, people are going to see you and you're going to be ashamed. So once you're able to tune in to the voices, you can, without judgment, thank them for their thoughts, but then say, my true financial voice wants me to be able to negotiate for this salary or to put in for retirement or to take a decision, to make a, make a decision that will accelerate my earnings. So all that to say is that those three steps can definitely help them make sense of why they do what they do and then be able to move forward um, in a way that honors their process. No, Carl, I, I already know I'm going to have you back on the show because that was just a whole word just on the degree to which our feelings about money and how it drives us is tied to previous generations, usually our parents, Mm-hmm. And the past, whatever, and what, how how it came to fruition for me was I was in my early forties. Now I was like you was raised by a divorced single mother. Mm-hmm. I had three other siblings. I was the oldest, uh, or I am the oldest. And and the things that I got from my mother from a financial standpoint that was really really good is she knew how to manage a budget to the last penny. She was like, mm-hmm. no, I know how much we're going to get to the next these next two weeks. So I'm really good at, I know how much money I got. I know where, how far it's going to go. Uh, you know, you know, I'm not bouncing checks. I'm not, I'm really, really good at that. I was not as good at, you know, okay, you need to, pre, you know, build assets. You can't just live in survival mode forever and forever. And it, it came to a realization for me when I read uh, The Millionaire Next Door. And it dawned on me that even though I had achieved absolute, you know, black middle-class success, by then, I was editor-in-chief of Black Enterprise magazine. I was still managing my money like the kid that was still in the working poor household in the working class neighborhood, you know, exactly. because, you know, and so you're right. I mean, it's not just about um, avoiding financial, you know, disaster, if you will. It's also about failing to take advantage of opportunities to grow your money because you're, 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 you're in my case, I was driven by fear and the need to control everything as opposed to saying, listen, you need to put yourself out there take some educated risks and then, and then grow your resources. But listen, mm-hmm. I want to give a quick pause for the cause um, with this message from Prudential. Um, everyone needs a rock. Prudential knows the importance of having a rock in your life. A rock can help turn the far-fetched into within reach. And when you have one, you can reach your potential, your dreams, and your goals. And when it comes to your financial goals, Prudential is the rock you can rely on. With their knowledgeable financial professionals, Prudential can help you get to new heights. Plan, invest, insure, retire. Visit Prudential.com. Who's your rock? So, Kara. Yes. Like I said, this this show is going by too fast already because you're just <laughs> dropping so much knowledge and so many gems. But let's turn our attention to 
um, a major trigger of the fears, maybe the shame. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of emotions both that we have as a collective society, as a nation, as well as individuals, when we hear terms like inflation or worse, recession. And of course, there's a consensus brewing uh, that says somewhere in 2023, nobody knows when, nobody knows how long it's going to last, but recession is, is practically inevitable. And of course, that has many of us clutching our pearls, clutching our wallets. <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, but it's very, very important, especially in these times. And I, and I talk to people who are also um, investment advisors who are telling their clients, you still need to stick to your financial goals, that there, there's going to be short term fluctuations in the economy. The economy is always stock market is going to always go up and down. Recessions happen. They come and go. But the worst thing you can do is react emotionally in a way that's unhealthy for your financial future. Talk to me about about things that the Your Money, Your Life audience should be thinking about so they can really stick to their financial goals. Not that they shouldn't make adjustments, maybe, but right. to stick to their goals despite an impending recession or even if the recession happens. I think you hit the nail on the head, Alfred, when you talked about the emotion, the emotion part of it. I think it's important for us to understand what, an, what a recession is in the larger context of the economy. So technically, a recession is when there's um, two quarters at least of no growth or negative growth in the overall economy. And you see other factors in industries, um, certain industries, um, there's lower, um, there's higher unemployment. Um, you may hear, see higher interest rates um, and there's less consumer spending. But it's also important to note in the larger ecosystem, this is why macroeconomics comes in, right, Alfred, yes. from school, right? Is yes. the larger context is, is that these are cycles, right? So you have to think and prepare in a recession that there's not going to be a recession. And what do I mean by that is when we are in a recession, you sometimes see there's a bear market where there's um, lowering, um, there's falls in the stock market. For those of us that understand the cycles, this is a great time to be take advantage of sales in the market, right? So if you change that mindset of scarcity into one of opportunity, knowing that recessions happen, that means that there's going to be contractions, corrections in the in the market. And after a bear market, there's usually a, a big bear market, a, a bull market right after. So you want to be able to get through the recession in order to prepare for what happens after. And how do you do that is to, number one, have that mindset. Number two, you also want to have a cash reserve for yourself. Emergency funds are really important, especially as we see fluctuations in job markets, there may be layoffs and things like that. So I would ensure that they say three to six months, I'm more of the six to nine months of your living expenses, making sure that in the event of a layoff possibly that you have enough to hold you over so you can look for another job um, that fits your needs without having to be panicky or having to um, feel out of fear that you have to look for something else. So that's one. That's number two. I would say number three is get out of debt, right? High interest rates in your debt does not help your portfolio. So all the money that you could be used toward your emergency fund or towards your um, investing, I would begin to think about how can I begin to eliminate this debt? And eliminating debt is there's really four ways that you can do it. First is by saving more. And that goes into looking at your budget. I know a lot of us think about with budgeting that I should take out the latte. I'm not for that. What I'm for are those fixed expenses that are 
actually not adding any value to your life right away. So say looking at subscriptions that are duplicates or triplicates, get rid of those so you can um, reduce what's in your budget and use that money for something else. Number two is looking at um, fixed expenses that can possibly be bundled like Um, your car insurance and your auto insurance, where you can enjoy your latte, but you actually have a heftier savings by bundling insurance like that. And also looking and being honest about how you consume um, groceries and takeout. For a lot of us, we have an aspirational uh, expectation of how we are going to eat at home and cook all the time. And after you go to the grocery store, what do you do? Go buy takeout, right? So let's be honest. Uh, looking at your food budget, get clear basically maybe on a weekly basis. What am I doing for food this week? Is it takeout this week? And I'm going to use that over a course of a couple of days. So the food in my in my pantry and the food in my um, my refrigerator don't go to waste. I think those are great ways that you can reduce spending without feeling deprived, right? And I think too, when it comes to staying on top of, that's the one way to save. The other way to save is um, to, I mean, is to find more money, is to earn more. And so if that means too, you've been able, you're up for um, you're up for a performance evaluation and New York City just opened up um, being able to show all of paytransparency, this is a great time to begin to think about if this is the job that I want to be at, but I've done really well, how can I begin to position myself to be an asset at another um, corporation or another organization? Um, any the other ways that you become you begin to save money is to do those things aggressively. You earn more and save more at the same time, right? And so, in thinking about that, um, we always talk about gig economy versus having like a side business. A gig economy is where you do little things like walking dogs or being a VA instead of having like a full scale business that's a small business or a micro business those are great ways for you to be able to make money in your free time without having to do all the necessary the necessary things to have like a startup business on the side so i think those are great ways for you to um be able to prepare for a recession um while still being able to live your life and not feeling completely scared or pushed into a corner by the thinking of a recession. And I would also say, um, stay on top of your retirement, right? If do not take money out of the stock market and continue the um, long haul with investments. This is not a time to take money out and then save it because you're missing out on gains that it's going to rebound, guys. It's going to rebound. And you want to have time in the market and not timing the market because you'll always be behind the eight ball. You know, you, 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 there's two pieces of advice I've shared on this show in the past that, I, that, that you bring to mind. Uh, are the two things that I, when people say, what do you wish you had done when you were younger? One of them was, I wish I had what was I was told one time, bank your raises. Like you said, if you can get an, an increase in income, whether it's a raise at your current job or you get a new job where you get an increase in, in salary, don't spend that increase right away. Like if you were making 45000 and now you're making 60000 still live like you're only making 45000 And even if it's only for a year, bank that raise into your emergency fund or paying down debt or whatever, because you're not going to miss it. You were cool at 45000 for exactly. the, just to this point. It's, it's a, it's, again, it's an emotional thing to say, oh, I got more money. I should spend more money. 
And, and so that the whole bank your raises. I want to tell you, if I had to do it all over again, I tell my kids all the time, bank your raises only for a year. Then go right. go go live up up your lifestyle again if you want to. But right. that alone would, would be great. The other thing is this idea that you can do. You can not only think of your emergency fund as a, a money you have set aside for when something goes wrong. Um, I started um, teaching my mentees and, and on this show and in other platforms. Also think of it as an opportunity fund. And, exactly. and it goes to your, to your point. Or let's say a recession happens and suddenly a bunch of stocks that you wanted to buy but you couldn't afford right. suddenly is available, like you said, at bargain basement prices. On yes, stock yes. Points. If you have your opportunity fund, which, yes, it's an emergency fund too. Yeah, if you get laid off, you can live off of it. But suppose you don't get laid off and you have this money and you can really get into some some aspects of, of stocks that you really couldn't afford before. Exactly. Now you can get them. Like you say, you get them now while they're cheap when you know that the market's going to rebound and that's going to going to pay off for you in a matter of months, often, you know, if not within the year. And right. so, you know, those two things about if you can think, stick to your financial goals like an emergency fund slash opportunity fund come rain or shine. It only it not only protects you when things don't go right, it gives you the resources you need to take advantage of things when they do go well for you. Exactly. I mean, when like when's the time now? I was just another you know, like other thing I want to add is get a financial advisor, have someone to talk to. Because I was just talking to my financial advisor yesterday, and we had a conversation. When are we going to see you know Apple or Amazon at a cheaper price? You know, get it now because the price is going to go right back up. So helping us change our mindset and see ourselves as investors and being able to be proactive in our financial goals is a key part of being able to not just manage the recession, but thrive in a recession. We want to be strategic in, number one, managing what emotions am I coming with? Are these motions really valid based especially on how the market has performed and also how recessions have come and go? And another important thing about recessions, not all, not all recessions are made the same. Like there's an issue of severity and degree when it comes to recessions. And so there's technical recessions when you see at the quarter, le at the quarter levels that you know there's been negative or minimal growth. But there isn't always going to be the great recession of the 2008, 2009 flavor. And we need to understand if we as a cognitive distortion are catastrophizing things, right? Is it going to be the worst? If, if you find yourself catastrophizing things, meaning taking the worst case scenario and really adding color and sound to it, you know, into your life, you're probably going to do that with your finances. Or when you hear word like recession, you're going to throw out all fact and, uh, kind of baseline information and just start making a telenovela out of it instead of looking at the facts and saying, okay, more than likely this is not going to happen again. And if in that being my truth or these baseline assumptions, because I could assume both ways, um, catastrophe or just something as just a way the market is and the cycles are, I choose to identify with this reality. And here's the financial decisions that come with that type of thinking versus the other kind of thinking. You know, your point about having a trusted financial advisor is important because when you talk, it's the, the biggest value of having a professional like that is not necessarily or just, oh, they know more about the markets. They know more about investing. They know, it's, it's, it's having an emotional regulator, someone who right. is not as emotionally involved. 
and someone who is not who is a, who's a lot more detached, a lot more balanced. That when you come in saying, "Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God," they That's say, what? "Praise God!" But let's <laughs> let's just you know, it's like when you go to your doctor, and if you're you're really you might be a bit of a hypochondriac, and you're thinking, "Okay, oh doc, my head's been hurting all day." Could it be a tumor? Could it be this? Could right, it be that? Right, and then you go right. to your doctor, and your doctor looks, checks you out, and gets, looks at the actual facts, checks right. your actual vitals, and says, "No, um, how much sleep have you been getting lately?" Exactly. Um, yeah, you might want to, you know, add a couple of hours to that. You'll be fine. Exactly. But the, the ability to have someone in your space who will reality check your emotional responses against facts and and you know statistics and and your past history. Exactly. to the degree that they get to know you well enough to know, say, Alfred, you know how you are. Right. We talked about right. this six months ago. <laughs> Do I, need I remind you? And, exactly. and you know, so that, that's one of the best things about having a professional help kind of guide you along your path, remind you of what your goals actually are, remind you to stick to the strategy uh, as opposed to, like you said, um, you know, catastrophizing things and then making decisions that, that not only don't solve the problem, but may make the problem worse. Exactly. Exactly. Listen, Kyra, we're running out of time. I definitely want um, our audience to be able to find you, get a hold of your book, heal your relationship with money. Um, what, what's the best way for the Your Money, Your Life audience to stay in touch with you, stay connected with you, um, website, social handles, um, the works? Yes. All of it. So you can always find me on Instagram, Kara. I mean, I'm sorry, Frugal Feminista. Uh, that's the handle. Also on Twitter. And the site is thefrugalfeminista.com. And you can always email me at Kara at the Frugal Feminista if you want some encouragement. You can also sign up for my newsletter. Um, it's on the site to the Frugal Feminista forward slash community. And I can leave that for you, Alfred, so they can get free access to all things around inspirational, educational, and thoughtful conversations around money and emotions. And I'm telling you, you guys, you will not regret it. You want to stay plugged in to Kyra, the frugal feminista. Kyra, thank you so much for joining me on Your Money, Your Life. Thank you for having me, Alfred. This was amazing. We're going to do it again. So you know, yes. keep, keep, keep some room for me on the calendar. I will. You just heard another great edition of Your Money, Your Life. This edition was brought to you by our friends at Prudential. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr., Senior VP, Executive Editor at Large at Black Enterprise. Thanks for joining us.